Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have indeed spoken to us and revealed yourself through us through your word. Lord, we thank you that we know that your word will not return empty, that it does exactly what you have intended and the purpose given to us. Lord, that it will succeed in in whatever you have sent it to do, whether it is to bring judgment on someone or whether it is to show them grace and to bring them and draw them unto yourself. We pray this evening as we read this passage that you would do your work within our hearts, that it would not return void or empty. That, Lord, we would pray that we would see the glorious fruit of grace growing in our lives, caused by your word dwelling in us and doing the work from the Holy Spirit which applies to us. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Jonah, chapter 1, verses 7 to uh, 16. Here, uh, this is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and they fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great temptest had come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, Let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Thus far in this story, we've seen Jonah being called by the Lord, who then runs away. He runs. He's the running prophet. But we have also seen the pursuing God, who pursues Jonah, who's rebelling against the Lord, but yet God is not done with Jonah yet. We see God's compassion and mercy is for Jonah, but also Jonah's call to be able to go proclaim to the Ninevites. And tonight we continue to learn about these three main characters in this section of the book. And 
Although I, I don't necessarily like the term characters because it's hard to be able to say, well, God is a character in this story because this is not merely just a novel that we have. It's historical. This is a real life. But the characters is the best term that I could come up with. You see, Jonah, the running prophet, the one who flees God trying to escape his, his call to be able to go to the Ninevites. You have the Lord who is the pursuing, merciful God who chases down Jonah. But you also have the Gentiles in this passage, the sailors in this section, and then later as we see a mirror image of this opening section, you then see the Ninevites and how they respond. So let us start with Jonah and see how the story progresses as we understand more about Jonah. That we learn that he's not only merely the running prophet, but he's the prophet who is silent. Right from the outset that we've seen that Jonah is reluctant, rebellious. He doesn't want to carry out that call which is given to him to be able to go proclaim the word of the Lord. It seems that he's running to get away from Nineveh. But up to this point, we've made it clear that he's not running to get away from Nineveh. Nineveh has not come up since verse 2. What's actually come up is he's not running to get away from the Ninevites. He's running away to get away from the Lord. It's interesting that the aspect is that Jonah, who's a prophet of the Lord, who is meant to speak the words of the Lord, is actually running away from the Lord and running away, who is, and he's silent. The captain tells Jonah in the last verses that we saw last time in verse 6. The captain tells Jonah to call out to our God, but there is a big gap in our Bible. Perhaps their God, the captain says, your God will give us a thought. However, in the story of Jonah, there's no calling upon from Jonah. We have nothing. It goes from straight ver- from verse seven to ver- uh, from verse six to verse seven. There's silence. Jonah does not call out to the Lord. There is no prayer on Jonah's lips. The one who is meant to speak the words of God does not speak anything. The next thing that we find out in verse seven is the sailors are there trying to find out what they can do. Let us cast lots. Why this evil has come upon them. Either there's a large portion of the story that is missing, or there's no missing part at all. Jonah is not only running away from the Lord, he's trying to hide from God. As he goes into the belly of the ship, he's trying to remove himself from the presence of the Lord. In all of this, Jonah needs to be coerced into speaking. But as we will see, the Lord is sovereign even over a large fish. He's sovereign over the trembling, temptuous storm. But he's even sovereign over the roll of a dice. Finally, Jonah has to speak. The lots fall on him. They find out that Jonah is the reason for the storm. So they ask, the sailors ask him questions. Four questions, simple questions. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? 
Now, it's a great group of questions that we as readers all know the answers to. But in a way, Jonah really only answers one question. The last question. We know that he's running from God, but he's also running from his calling. We, it, his answer sparks fear in sailors, which we'll see. But he has no real response to Jonah. Jonah's simple answer is that I'm a Hebrew. Now, this is a common word which is used for those outside of the covenant community. Inside the covenant community, they often refer to themselves as Israelites. But of those of foreign countries, Pharaoh speaks of this as of, of Abraham. This is often the name given to them. The etymology is not so certain, but this is often how they're referred to outside. And he says that I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Again, Jonah is not absent in theology. He would have passed his seminary with flying colors. He, he is a great theologian, and that's what makes him bad at what he does. Because he is, even as a believer, he has no doubt of who God is. He knows who God is, and that is why he is running. Remember when we first met him, that he is a prophet, not merely just in the book of Jonah, but he also was a prophet in the days of Jeroboam II. And during his reign, he, he prophesies and says, great things will happen to you, and that's exactly what happened. But Jeroboam II is not really the upright standing of a, a true follower of God and his law. And he has, does nothing to be able to gain from this truth. In this time, he says that I fear the Lord. I think it is a true claim that he, he says this. Fear is often used throughout the Bible to speak of one who truly worships God. Again, it helps us understand that Jonah is not running because he misunderstands him. He's running because he understands him. It is a great lesson. We often think that people do not know God, therefore they turn away from him. But sometimes it is just the opposite. Just as in Jonah's case, they know exactly who he is. What is the parable of the sower? The parable of the sower is one of the seeds says that it falls. And what happens is that they spring up. But once persecution arises on account of the word, then they wither away. And some people end up finding out about who God is as he's revealed himself in the word. And they don't worship him because they actually understand him. They understand that he's a righteous judge and Ultimately, they come down to it that their sinful desires say, I don't want to be judged. It's not a denial of who God is. It's, it's a, it's a, it's, it comes from within, this sin that comes from within, ultimately denying and walking away from what the Word truly says. And Jonah says that he fears the Lord. 
But the third thing that he says is that the God of heaven who made the sea and of the dry land. This, I think, is the statement that strikes fear into the hearts of the sailors. Here they are all trying to cry out to their gods. But yet here Jonah has the God who made the sea and all the dry land. The God of heaven where the storm is coming from. He made the sea in which the storm, the tempestuous storm is moving up and down. He made the dry land in which they're trying to reach. And again, Jonah makes this true and great statement. And I don't think he's merely just stating it as a fact. I mean, he's he merely stating it as a fact. He doesn't seem to turn to God's character of who God is. He later will say that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. But he doesn't make that claim. He doesn't correct the captain, says perhaps he might give us a thought. And you watch, but what happens? It's the sailors. Notice that Jonah does not get a mention. There's no dread, no turning to God in prayer yet from Jonah. Jonah again is silent. He's not forthcoming. He waits for the sailors to respond, to ask a question. Now it's important that in all of this we must ask the question, who is writing the story of Jonah? I think the narrator, I believe, is Jonah, explains a period of time in all of this, that here the sea is becoming more temptuous. And what is Jonah doing? Jonah is not praying. Jonah is silent. He only speaks unless he is spoken to. Jonah's response is somewhat bizarre. When the sailors say, what should we do? He could have said something. Well, let us go to ask and ask God. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. Let's turn around. Let us repent. Let me repent. There's many options that Jonah could have said, but that's not what he said. In verse 12, he clearly says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And he knows that the sea will be quiet. And he knows that this storm is not because of things, the evil that others have done. He knows that this evil has come upon them because of him. Jonah would rather be thrown into the sea than to turn to God for mercy. He would rather drown than to go to his knees. Again, he tells us later that he knows that God is merciful and gracious. But he does not want to see God's mercy. He wants to see God's wrath. He wants to see God's wrath poured out on Jeroboam and his unrighteous rule. He wants to see God's wrath poured out on Nineveh and all the wicked things that they've done. He even wants to see God's wrath poured out on himself. He'd seen the good things happen to Jeroboam II, who was wicked and who was evil. 
Jonah knows that at what point he knew the storm. We're not told what point he knew that the storm was because of him, but here he tells us exactly that at this point he knows the storm is because of him. Now this is the last thing that Jonah says until we turn to chapter 2 with his prayer from the belly of the fish. He had no idea what was coming. He would rather have the words, pick me up and throw me into the sea, as been his last words than, Lord, please forgive me. But in contrast to this, we see the second character, you might say, and that is the sailors. What you see from the silent prophet, now you see the worshiping Gentiles. And you have to wonder, sometimes reading a book like this, why would God even deal with a prophet like Jonah? But when you read a chapter like this one, you almost understand that God's hand is at work even in the rebellious prophet. Because what you actually see is not only Jonah gets to preach repentance to the Ninevites in chapter 4, in chapter 3, but you also see God's name been revealed to these sailors who seem. But there's this drastic change that happens from verse 5 to verse 16. In verse 5, we're told the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. In verse 16, we're told that the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And in this chapter, we see this dark contrast to Jonah, the prophet who fears the Lord but does nothing about it. And the sailors, they're the ones who truly have fear on their lips. They understand that evil has come upon them. They do all that they do to be able to try and stop it. They throw over all their cargo. They, they cast lots. They're crying out to their God to be able to save them. And even after Jonah's explanation of who God is, they turn in great fear of God. They turn from fear of the storm to fear of the Lord. They connect the dots. That it's even Jonah who's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. And this is what this great evil is that has come upon them. As the waves grow higher and higher and the ship is tossed in the storm. Even at the end, they don't want to take Jonah's life. They'd lost cargo. They try and row out of this storm, but eventually they have to listen to the prophet. But they throw him over, but notice their prayer even beforehand. In verse 14, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. From the lips of the sailors, these mariners, comes the covenant name of Yahweh. And they place their hands in the Lord. It's an interesting aspect in all of this that the captain and the sailors understand that the judgment and the ability to be able to continue with the storm or stop it does not rely on their actions. But it is based on the response of the Lord and what he sees fit. The captain points out to Jonah, 
call out on your God, perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. And the sailor said that you have done as as it pleased you. In all of this, maybe one of the most encouraging things in the whole book of Jonah is found in verse 16. They were told that the men, these sailors, feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. In this one verse, you see this group of sailors in the middle of the sea who I believe so some form of signs of, of worship and adoration of God. Before they had the view that the Lord will do what he pleases. And it's only after they're saved that they fear the Lord. But before they're saved, they really place their hands in the Lord. Previously, they were afraid after Jonah had told them what he had done. As they feared him, feared the men were, were exceedingly afraid in verse 10. Because they knew that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord. And here, this term, that they feared the Lord exceedingly, the thing that Jonah said that he was and did, that I fear the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Again, this term is used throughout the Bible to denote one who truly understands the Lord and worships the Lord and God in reverence. That they do this in verse 16, after verse 15, not the other way around. They don't make their sacrifices to God and then the storm stops. The storm stops and then they worship and sacrifice him. This is exactly what Noah did in chapter 8 of Genesis. But more than that, they also made vows to the Lord. We do not know what they are. We don't hear anything more about these sailors in the book of Jonah. We don't hear any more about it in, in the Bible. But Jonah finishes his prayer in chapter 2 by saying, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, as the sailors did at the end in verse 16, they make sacrifices and vows that here Jonah makes these connections at this point. Now, maybe you have to go a bit further than what we're told explicitly here in Scripture. We need to ask the question, how does the narrator know this? Assuming it's Jonah, how does Jonah find out that the sailors did this? He's possible as he's thrown into the sea, he's able to hear them. He saw them making sacrifices and vows. Or there might even be a possibility that their paths cross paths, they cross paths again. But as Jonah is writing this and recording his prayer, he uses the identical structure which is found earlier in verse 16. But then he adds that salvation belongs to the Lord. 
Now, I believe there is a possibility that what we're told here, we may even see these sailors in heaven. I'm not sure about the Ninevites, but these sailors, out of the whole book of Jonah, show the signs of those who have been saved. Now, we don't have any more information. Did they go home and denounce all other gods and worship God as the one true and living God? It's possibly possible, but unlikely. But hence, maybe this is why that Jonah even says that salvation belongs to the Lord, that he does not know the outcome. But we see the silent prophet, we see the worshiping Gentiles, but in all of this we see the hand of God, that God still is the pursuing God. We'll end here and pick up next time in verse 17. But we need to notice the hand of God in all of this. It is God who is pursuing Jonah, not Jonah pursuing God. It is God using the sailors through the dice and the storm. See that God is shown through creation. That there in verse 4, that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Throughout this passage, you can almost see the narrator using the thermometer. The sea is somewhat of a thermometer, a barometer of God's response. The sea is an active part in this whole story. As it said, it begins in verse 4, the mighty tempest on the sea that continually grows and amplifies throughout this whole process. See it in the passage we read tonight, beginning in verse 11. The sea may quiet down for us, as the sailors said. But what happened, the sea grew more and more temptuous. Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. He knows that the sea is because of this great tempest has come upon these sailors in verse 13. They continue to row, but what happens? The sea grew more and more temptuous against them. In verse 15, they picked him up and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The storm begins not as some small storm in verse 4. It says that it is a mighty tempest on the sea, and the ship threatened to break up. This sparked fear in all the sailors, and the sea over all this time just gets more and more ravenous. Even the sailors are able to connect this too. When this evil comes upon them, and then they hear that the God of Jonah made the heavens and the sea and the dry land, their response is to ask Jonah, what shall we do? that the sea may quiet down for us. But in the end, the sailors don't turn and worship the sea. The sailors turn and worship the maker of the sea, the Lord of the sea and the dry land and the heavens. Their worship isn't directed at the sea. Their worship is directed at the one who directs the sea. This is the opposite of Romans chapter 1. 
When Paul writes, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Then in Romans 1, instead of worshiping and fearing God, they turn to worship and fear creation. Whereas the sailors turn from worshiping and fearing creation to worshiping and fearing the Lord. Again, this is similar to what happens to disciples on the boat. They're filled with fear as the storm is around them, that Jesus is in the belly of the ship. But he comes up and their disciples fear from from turning from creation. They turn and their fear is not from what is outside the boat. Their fear is who is inside the boat. Mark 4.41 puts it this way. And they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? But we see that in all of this, it's not merely the actions of the sea getting more and more ravenous or more and more temptuous as as time goes on, but it's also God showing his mercy that the response might come, that he might be able to deal with his prophet. In all of this, God is pursuing Jonah. The verse which Jonah will quote back to the Lord in chapter 4 where the Lord passes before Moses. And he proclaims the Lord, the Lord, the merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity on the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That in all of this we see the Lord, as much as Jonah wants to flee and run from God's presence, God continually pursues him. To chase him down, to show him his need for the mercy in which he is running from. Jonah who who says, I want to see the wrath of God. The Lord says, I'm showing you my mercy. That God's mercy continually pursues and follows Jonah. Even though he seeks to be able to run from God's mercy. As we'll see that the Lord is not done with Jonah yet. He's not done with the Ninevites. That we see the story of Jonah is just getting started. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O oh, gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you for the life and story of Jonah, that we might be able to see how our sinful heart can truly understand who you are, but wrongly apply it and seek to be able to run away from you. Lord, forgive us when we have cried out and wanted to see wrath poured out on those around us, rather than praying that you would show them mercy. Lord, help us to be those who seek and love your mercy, 
who cry for those who are far from you. That they might turn and truly fear and acknowledge you. To worship and bow down to you. Help us, Lord, to not be like Jonah to run from what we most need. But to love and embrace the mercy which you show to us. Show us our need for this mercy. Day by day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.